0: From New Orleans, Louisiana, it's Empirical's Power Tech Podcast. This is the place where we talk about bringing technology to the power industry. Our goal is to educate you on the most popular trends, bring you actionable strategies from industry thought leaders, and help you make sure your utility is prepared for the future. I'm your host, Matthew Sachs, president of Empirical, former utility engineer and power industry advocate. Today's episode is the third in our continuing series regarding cloud-hosted software-as-a-service solutions and security considerations. Our first podcast was focused on cloud-based solutions and security for power systems. In the second podcast, we discussed cloud data security, the where, who, and how. In today's podcast, we'll take a deeper dive into where we are today with security, compliance, and the cloud. Once again, I'm joined by Nathan Wallace, Director of Cyber Operations for Cyberical. And we'd like to extend a warm welcome to our new guest, Maggie Powell, Principal Industry Specialist in the Energy Sector with Amazon Web Services. Dr. Nathan Wallace has BS degrees in Electrical Engineering and Physics, a Master's in Engineering, and a PhD in Engineering from Louisiana Tech University with a focus in cybersecurity. As the Director of Cyber Operations, he's responsible for assessing various power system cybersecurity risks. He also leads our Software and Applications Development Group, coordinates the design and setup of Empirical's Relay Protection Training Lab and assists with site commissioning activities. He's a member of the IEEE Power and Energy Society, the Computer Society, and an active member of the IEEE New Orleans section. Maggie is a seasoned professional with 25 years of experience in risk management for cybersecurity and regulatory issues covering a broad range of industries, including critical infrastructure security, electric reliability, environmental markets scientific research, and in international trade. Prior to joining AWS, Maggie spent 14 years with a major investor-owned utility as a senior manager responsible for managing and leading three technical cybersecurity teams dedicated to real-time systems, including security engineering, Industrial Control System Security Operations Center, and security and compliance. Nathan and Maggie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matthew.
1: Thank you, Matthew, and Nathan. It's a real pleasure to be here.
2: In the last couple of episodes, we defined the key elements of the cloud and touched on a variety of security and resiliency concepts. Next is everybody's favorite topic, compliance. Here in the United States, we have NERC, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. While there are a number of states working to create compliance standards for distribution and subtransmission systems, NERC's regulatory authority, granted to them by Congress, right applies only to the bulk electric system, or as we know it, the BEZ. This includes bulk generation and the transmission system. Uh, NERC is tasked with ensuring the reliability of the BES by creating and enforcing policy-driven compliance standards for real-time operation and for security controls that protect BEZ-related information. So Maggie, if I may, for us to better frame this topic of compliance in the cloud, what type of BEZ-related workloads are you seeing in the cloud and what are the benefits of using the cloud for these applications?
1: Great, yeah, hey, I'm excited to talk about compliance because we also get to talk about security for these critical functions. But before we jump into the BES functions, first I'd like to touch on data storage because it's the foundation for analyzing, sharing, and using data. Data storage is, in the cloud is popular for the availability, durability, and scalability it delivers, as well as the associated security functions and cost-effectiveness. So in thinking about BES functions, in AWS's experience, many BES functions can be implemented in the cloud. In particular, the cloud is well-suited for those services that need to analyze and distribute large amounts of data quickly. For example, cloud computing can provide more effective dynamic responses to BES conditions and situational awareness. While on-prem technologies can provide similar types of analysis, cloud infrastructure is immediately available for scaling up to deploy and scaling down as needed. You can test redundant environments, backup and recovery, and disaster recovery almost daily at a manageable cost as compared to the traditional annual testing. And this gives true meaning to reliability. Cloud can also accommodate running an N-2 contingency model as opposed to a traditional N-1. In other words, cloud technologies can enable power and utility customers to undertake a variety of modeling, simulations, analyses, studies, and other activities with a greater scope and in less time, and not typically possible with on-prem solutions. And even from a security perspective, cloud computing can efficiently monitor BES components by automating security functions and allowing rapid detection and mitigation of potential security threats. So, I've been speaking as a cloud service provider, and let me abbreviate that because I know I'll refer to it as a CSP in the future, but there are also a marketplace of software solutions and as software as a service or SaaS built for electric utilities that also benefit from the cloud. So, SaaS providers support grid operation functions such as asset management and network logging and monitoring, vulnerability management, and all kinds of other functions. Grid Intel is a great example.
2: Yeah, there are certainly a wide range of BES applications that can really benefit from the cloud. For me, you know, kind of personally, the contingency modeling application is really probably one of my favorites. I know both as an engineering firm and as a software solutions provider, we do actually leverage a large number of cloud resources to help with a variety of things, event monitoring, project management, and even for designing the actual power system environments. So Maggie, can all BES-related functions and activities be moved to the cloud, or are there some that should probably stay on-prem, at least for now, in a way?
1: Yeah, so the decision to adopt cloud solutions for BES systems has to take into account operational requirements, things like reliability, latency tolerance, and the criticality of the operation. So latency refers to the speed in which a request or other signal is transmitted from sender to receiver and then is processed. A low latency requirement implies a higher required speed for transmission and processing. So bear with me for a few minutes to set some groundwork, because BEZ is not just one thing or one function. It's many functions, each with differing operational requirements. There are a number of models to help understand how BEZ functions vary, and the one I'm going to use is the Purdue model for industrial control systems, because it breaks out functions into logical segments, and I'm just going to walk through it. In the best cyber context, Levels 0 and 1 comprise bulk energy production and or transmission zones. These include devices like remote terminal units, programmable logical controllers, sensors, high frequency switching devices, synchrophasers, and the like. Level 2 systems are real-time control systems and software that supervise, monitor, and control physical processes. This includes your facility-based control and dynamic response systems. Level 0 to 2 systems are dependent on highly available, low latency networking as they require immediate response for safety and control. Level 3 systems are those that are involved in overall management of operations. So for the BEZ, Level 3 can include functions like balancing load and generation and situational awareness systems, certain monitoring and control systems, among others. For these, the latency tolerance extends to seconds, minutes, and hours. Level four applies to those business logistics systems, including managing the business-related activities of the operation. So in the BES context, level four systems can contain applications, such as hour ahead planning or real-time grid simulation and demand response. In level four, the time frame shifts to days, weeks, and months. So these are all BES functions. If it's not already obvious and what I've said, the key differentiator between the levels is the response time required to act. So at least for now, BES assets or systems in level zero through two should probably stay physically located at their sites due to the high availability, low latency needs of the control systems that they support. But response times for systems in level three and level four are longer, making them quite amenable to the cloud. And this opens up these best functions to gain the benefits of a cloud environment. And CSPs are constantly innovating and offering new services, so future technologies can accommodate systems lower in the model. AWS already offers AWS outposts to entity data centers, high speed, low latency functions, using the same technology available in the cloud.
2: So, you know, on this topic of latency, something that really comes to mind is uh, relay protection and and relay applications like transfer tripping, right? These applications require calculations on the order of just a couple of cycles, and, and because of that, should probably remain in the station, as you kind of mentioned, at least for now. So outside of those lower layer applications, there are a number of BES-related workloads that could really benefit from the cloud, Of those that you just mentioned, would any of these actually be in scope of the NERC-SIP standards?
1: Ah, So here we get to compliance. Just to make sure all the listeners know these abbreviations, you mentioned in the opening that NERC is the North American Electric Reliability Corporation. SIP stands for Critical Infrastructure Protection and the NERC CIP Standards are the set of federally mandated cyber and physical security requirements for power and utility owners and operators of the BEZ in North America. I'll define another term since I know it'll come up. BCSI is BEZ Cybersecurity Information. So under CIP2, the generator or utility known as the responsible entity in CIP speak classify cyber assets and BES information according to the SIP definitions. If they classify a cloud-based asset or BES information in the cloud, also known as BCSI, if those are classified as in scope, then it can be integrated into a responsible entity's SIP compliance program. For such cloud-based assets, the responsible entity continues to manage the security controls required by the SIP standards and may use cloud-based solutions to perform controls such as for access management and patching and many others.
2: So if the cloud is leveraged to store and analyze BES-related information, how can asset owners include the cloud in their actual NERC SIP compliance programs to show compliance?
1: Yeah, let's look at a specific example. Say the responsible entity labels their data to store in the cloud as BCSI. They identify the storage location on their SIP compliance inventory with the identification provided by the CSP. With an AWS solution, the responsible entity will have an Amazon resource name or an ARN to uniquely identify their AWS resources. And remember the shared responsibility model discussed in the previous podcasts? So this'll be a good way to think about it in action. For cloud infrastructure, Responsible entities inherit the controls of the cloud managed by AWS. And the entity implements SIP controls in the cloud for anything that is part of the operating system and above. Cloud solutions use the same security control methods as on-prem configurations, such as network isolation, firewalls, access control, continuous monitoring, logging, encryption, patch management, and all those other services and features. These security control methods enable securing BES systems and BCSI in the cloud to meet the security objectives of the SIP standards. And customers can achieve the same security in the cloud as they can on-prem to the same or greater degree. So now getting back to that BCSI example, requirements within SIP 4 and SIP 11 apply to the BCSI identified repositories. So SIP 11 are 1.2, requires information protection for the BCSI, and the responsible entity can use encryption to protect the data in transit and at rest. So AWS offers a responsible entity-managed key management system, or KMS, that can be used to encrypt data. The entity controls the keys and access to its content. AWS cannot decrypt or read the information. Then let's look at CIP 11R2. This covers media reuse and disposal. And when using cloud storage, the cloud service provider disposes of media. So in this case, the BCSI does not typically have physical hardware assigned to it within a cloud data center. This is valuable for data resiliency and provides additional security because the location of the data cannot be identified by a physical label on hardware. CSP media is managed according to their policies and practices, and these controls are inherited by the responsible entity. So at AWS, we follow the NIST 888 guidelines for media sanitization. All AWS content and hardware is treated at the highest level of classification under the AWS policy. Content is destroyed on storage devices as part of the decommissioning process. AWS hosts are securely wiped or overwritten prior to provisioning for reuse, and AWS media is securely wiped or degaussed and physically destroyed prior to leaving AWS secure zones. So let's look at the last item, SIP 4. SIP 4 requirements for BCSI, they bring us back to the responsible entity's role because they control access authorization and revocation to the cloud-based information repository. Cloud-based identity access management, or IAM, can support compliance with the SIP 4 requirements. AWS cloud storage includes IAM controls in which the responsible entity grants permissions for users and roles and can authorize, revoke, and audit access. No AWS personnel can see or use the data. As well, the entity can use their IAM dashboard to generate reports to track user access authorizations and revocations. And reports can be generated to demonstrate compliance with those access control requirements. So I know I'm talking going into the weeds about the compliance requirements, but additional security aspects beyond these requirements are also in place. Such as on AWS, responsible entity retains complete ownership and control of its data. All AWS services support communications over HTTPS, so any data in transit to or from AWS services is encrypted. And responsible entities can log and monitor all access to their data and set up trigger alarms and notifications in the event of any deviation from authorizations. And this can be integrated with security event monitoring if desired. We have a user guide available that shows how a wide range of AWS cloud services Can be used to meet the security objectives of the SIP standards. And just note, different cloud service providers offer different products, but the essential point is that responsible entities can fulfill the security objectives embodied within the SIP requirements and demonstrate that the controls are met.
2: That's really great, Maggie. I really like how you've drawn kind of these parallels between the actual SIP standards and the cloud security features that are available. Uh, and, you know, this, this conversation, it actually brings me back to our previous podcast with Ranjan, right, where we talked about the variety, the sheer amount and large variety of cloud security controls and features that are available for cloud users. What are some examples of evidence that an asset owner should show an auditor demonstrating they are indeed SIP compliant while using the cloud?
1: Ah, yes. The compliance demonstration. So I have touched on it, and it relates again to the shared responsibility, but let me delve in a little more. So just as on-prem infrastructure teams manage controls for on-prem infrastructure, the CSP manages the controls for the cloud infrastructure, and the cloud users inherit the controls of the cloud. This is a one-to-many approach for securing infrastructure for a multitude of services, features, and industries. The AWS core infrastructure is built to satisfy the security requirements for military, global banks, and other high-sensitivity organizations and demonstrates compliance to internationally recognized certifications and accreditations such as SOC 1, 2, and 3, ISO for cloud security and cloud privacy, NIST Cybersecurity Framework, and FedRAMP, among many others. So AWS maintains certifications, independent third-party attestations, and continuous monitoring. And AWS is routinely audited by cloud security experts for its compliance to these assurance programs. So these reports and details about security controls are available to AWS customers to support their compliance programs. For entities managing in-scope data in the cloud, Reporting can be built into the controls. The network auditing features allow customers to define and generate evidence reports for the applicable requirements. So let's go back to that BCSI example. The responsible entity can document their implementation and use of encryption tools to fulfill SIP 11. If using AWS KMS, the SOC 2 certification supports that no code path exists for AWS personnel to see or use customer content. The entity can access security assessment reports and attestations to verify certification. For the SIP 11 reuse and disposal, AWS policies and security standards that comport with the NIST 888 guidelines are available to customers. And as I mentioned for SIP 4, through the IAM tool, the entity can generate their own reports to track user access authorizations and revocations to demonstrate compliance. So of course these are just a few examples and I know that SIP audits and compiling the compliance evidence is a very big undertaking. The opportunity here is to consider how cloud services meet the security and compliance requirements and engage with CSPs in defining evidence needs. There may be room to work together with auditors to understand expectations for demonstrating compliance.
2: Yeah, I can certainly understand that, right? It is almost a region-by-region region kind of thing, you know, that definitely needs to have the auditors brought in to some of those conversations. So I know I know the SIP requirements don't directly, as at least right now, address the cloud. So what are your recommendations on how asset owners can navigate the compliance questions and gain more comfort with the cloud for the variety of workloads that can be considered in scope of NERC SIP?
1: Well, compliance is really a piece of the bigger picture. So I encourage industry members to keep learning about cloud technology and the security controls that protect data in the cloud. Gain familiarity with the various cloud technologies and how they can benefit business and operational objectives. Consider use cases to explore how agility, elasticity, and cost savings of the cloud can benefit your operations and security requirements. Utilities should understand how security controls for regulatory or for internal security requirements are addressed through shared responsibility. Cloud service providers vary in the services they provide and the methods used to secure their cloud infrastructure. So it's important to understand your specific requirements, how you can meet them using cloud services, and how security responsibilities are shared between you and the CSP. You should know which controls are inherited from the CSP, which controls are implemented by both you and the CSP, and which controls you, the utility, are responsible for managing. But gain some assurance of a CSP's controls by viewing third-party assessments. Security assurance programs like those mentioned, SOC, ISO, and FedRAMP, they test controls on a regular basis. And as I mentioned, this includes routine audits conducted by those cloud security experts and continuous monitoring. And these security assurance programs are consistent with the SIP security objectives. On the NERC front, I think it's a really exciting time for SIP compliance. Cloud benefits and opportunities are in discussion. I mean, NERC recently posted a guideline on BCSI and encryption in the cloud. FERC collected comments in response to their notice of inquiry on cloud computing, and the drafting teams are hard at work considering virtualization and cloud technologies within the SIP requirement language. So we see opportunities to move ahead within scope workloads and really want to work with power and utility customers to build applicable use cases, and if appropriate, support customer conversations with auditors. It is really a learning process for all stakeholders, but there is a lot to be gained by making progress.
2: Oh, yeah, so true. For Really, for a number of projects we've worked on, by using the cloud, we've actually noticed an increase in the overall system reliability and even the resiliency. So, wrapping up our discussion today, we talked about BES applications that can benefit from the cloud and about staying NERC SIP compliant. Any overall summarizing thoughts or key takeaways for our audience on this topic of remaining NERC SIP compliant while using the cloud, Maggie?
1: Cloud technologies really offer a lot of advantages for the electric sector, particularly for services like in testing, simulations, and planning. I like how you included in your question on-prem functions, at least for now, because innovation is driving cloud technology to support grid operations in new, efficient, and secure ways. AWS supports our customers and partners in adopting cloud where the cloud can meet the business operations, reliability, and security needs, and we continue to discuss with our technical stakeholders how these objectives can be met in the cloud and how to address compliance. So we really look forward to our continued engagement with the electric industry, and I really appreciate you having me today. Thank you.
2: Oh, yeah. Thank you, Maggie, for joining us today and helping to address this NERC SIP compliance while using the cloud topic. It is very interesting times, as you mentioned. Since this is the third in a series of podcasts, we would like to invite the audience to submit questions, which we will dive into in a future podcast. To submit questions, or if you would like to see any of the resources mentioned, please go to www.empirical.com.
0: Well, that about wraps up this edition of the Power Tech Podcast. If you haven't yet, please log into to wherever you subscribe to the podcast and both rate this show and leave a comment. As that really helps new subscribers in the power industry to find us. Also, for more free insights on bringing technology to the power industry, make sure to visit empirical.com. We post free white papers, articles, and all of our previous podcasts there. Plus, you can register for a free 3D strategy planning session call with one of our 3D planning specialists. Again, you can do all of that and much more at empirical.com. Please stay tuned. And join us for the next episode of the Power Tech Podcast. And until next time, keep engineering powerful solutions.